Welcome to another episode of Speaker Sponsor, where we bring you the people behind the scenes of the speaking industry, the meeting planners, the speakers bureaus, the managers, the agents, and the experts who have the inside scoop to help you educate, motivate, and inspire as a public speaker. And without further ado, here's your host, Julie Austin. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Speaker Sponsor, the show about the entrepreneurial speaker. My name is Julie Austin, and we have a fantastic guest today. In fact, she is a legend in the speaking industry. Now, I know she's rolling her eyes. She's, she's not going to say anything because she's too humble, but I can say it. Um, here's just a partial list of what she's done. She has been a certified meeting professional for over 32 years, meeting partner of the year as voted on by NSA, MPI's Marion Kirshner Leadership Award, NSA North Texas Lifetime Achievement Award. And that is the first time they've ever given out that award. And uh, she is just all of that and uh, more. Welcome, Betty Garrett. Thank you, Miss Julie. <laughs> that just means that the older you get, you know, you just win yeah. more awards. So, <laughs> yeah, what award haven't you won? Oh, come on. There's plenty. There's plenty. Is there a Nobel Prize for oh, speaking? Come or? On, get off of here. Get, get gone. Get. <laughs> See, I told you. Too, too <laughs> modest. Um, we're going to start at the very, very beginning. Okay. Um, you know, how did you get into this crazy business? And was it on purpose? Was it by accident? I don't know. Well, my goal in life was to come to Dallas and work for an airline. That was it. That was my dream. So I came to Dallas and started working for Braniff International in reservations for about 16 years till they went belly up. Then I wondered, what am I going to do now that I'm going to grow up? So it just so happened that Meeting Professionals International was moving from Middletown, Ohio to Dallas, Texas. And I had a friend of mine call me and said, why don't you go and apply for manager of an education? And I went, education? That is the last thing I want to do. <laughs> anyway, long story short, I went over, applied, got the job, and worked for MPI. And that is how I got into the speaking business, because I was responsible for hiring the speakers and trainers for the programs that we hosted. Aha, uh -huh. so it was a little bit of serendipity working in your favor, right? Right, right. And then I got tired, or at one point, I decided if I'm going to work this hard, that's when I would wanted to work and start my own business, which was Garrett Speakers International. And that's when I hung my shingle up. So you, but you ran a speaker bureau right. for how long? Come on, quit telling my age, 31 years. Okay, well, you started when you were 10. Oh, All good. right. <laughs> um, and you, I know now you do a lot of coaching right. for speakers, because I know one thing about you, you want speakers to be the best that they can be. Absolutely. And there's a lot to know, um, you know, both in the, you know, the performance part of it and the business side. Um, and in fact, we're so appreciative that you're here because I know you're in between planes. You're flying around. <laughs> That's true, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> that is true. Um, do you think that speaking is something that is natural or something that can be taught? Good question, Miss Julie. I think if you have the passion 
and the desire, you can be a speaker, but you have got to want it bad enough that you're willing to do the work. It's hard work. You guys make it look so easy that you can just get up on stage and just do your thing. Well, it's not. You've got to create the emotional feel. You've got to tell stories. You've got to be engaging. You've got to be educational. You've got to be uh, entertaining. Now, if you are an introvert, that may be a little bit harder for you, but I say, hire for attitude, you can teach skills. When and you're on a stage, it's a little bit of multitasking. It's like, because I, I was an actor for many years, and you're, you're, you're in character, you're thinking of your audience, you're watching them, you're remembering your lines, you're looking at your blocking. It's a lot of multitasking, don't you think? Absolutely. And you may have planned for 45 minutes to an hour of a speaking, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just before you go on stage, the meeting professional may come up to you and say, you have 30 minutes. I, so then, yep. in your mind, you better cut. You better know exactly what you're going to do, and you better have rehearsed it over and over again so that you know which pieces you can cut to fit into that 30-minute slot. I, I was prepared for that for a, a recent speech, and he actually came like literally 30 minutes before I That's went right. on, and he said, you got to cut 20 minutes. That's a lot. That is a lot. And so I had to just think really quick, what can I cut, and got it right to the minute for some, some miracle. But yeah, you're right. That is one important thing that a lot of times speakers aren't thinking about. Well, Julie, that is the difference in a professional speaker and right. someone who is not a professional speaker. They, the professional speaker knows what they can cut at the last minute. Well, I think one little cheat sheet is tip uh, in, the, in that regard is to have stories. Absolutely. Stories you can add or stories you can cut, right? And that's one of the ways that adults learn. And that's how your audience remembers you is by the stories that you tell. An, on, an adult or your audience is going to remember three key points. And what you want to do is support those key points with your stories, with meaningful stories. You're, you want your, your audience to be on this journey with you. They want to feel your emotion. Right. And so that's how you engage your audience is with the stories. And if you don't have good stories that are relatable to the audience, you may want to work on that because stories, you've got to be a good storyteller. And usually in a keynote, you only have two to three minutes to tell a story. And it better be impactful yes. and memorable. Right. Do you think it's better to have your own stories to tell or other people's, in your opinion? I think you can do both. Uh, I personally think if you've got stories that are, that are authentic, those are the ones that your audience is going to relate to. 
Now, yes, you can tell a story about Julie if I'm on stage, but is it going to be as impactful as something that I have gone through? Maybe, maybe not. It all depends on how you tell it. I always stayed away from that. And then I'd have a, a meeting planner say, you didn't tell the story of your invention. Right. I thought I was supposed to leave that out. Not I didn't. necessarily. If it applies, why not share it with yeah. the audience? They want to see you just like they are. You, you can put your shoes on one shoe at a time, <laughs> just like they do. And when you get up on that stage, they sometimes will put you on a platform. And good news, bad news, but then they want to see you just like me because then I can relate to you and I'm referring to me as an audience. Right, right. So I think authentic stories go a long way, but I'm not discarding those that are not yours originally. Now, if you steal somebody else's story, you better give it credit. Mm. <laughs> I, I, will, I won't do that. Okay. <laughs> well, um, that brings me to something, um, branding. So do you think that speakers should have their own uh, personal branding that makes them different? Like your hair, like the Betty hair. Oh. That's your branding. <laughs> when you walk into a room, I don't have to see you. I just go... That's Betty. That's the hair, right? That's your personal <laughs> branding. But do you think they, um, with all the communications and speakers and leadership and everybody speaks on the same topics, you better have something specific and unique to you. And also, do you, can you give an example of a speaker that does that well? To many branding, let me tell you, let me go back to this spiked white hair. When you get my age, you've got to have something funky. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are funky. <laughs> you are as funky as you can be. But I think just like, let's look at Simon T. Bailey. When he first started, he had a bow tie. Mm. That was his signature. But he also, his name used to be with Disney. It's Simon T. Bailey and his expertise is brilliance. So to me, your name and your expertise is your brand. I don't necessarily have to have a bow tie, I think, nor do I have to have, if you look at, there's several speakers on the market now that you get to select the jacket that he wears, like Jay Bear, and you get to pick out which plaid jacket or if it's a solid jacket. Is that a brand? I don't know. To me, your brand is your name. It is your expertise. You walk it. You better live it. You better be passionate about it. Well, um, I mean, you want to be remembered, though. Right. So when a meeting planner is thinking of whatever topic it is, leadership, and you just have that um, the blank Look. guy or the blank girl, you know, something that it comes up and they they remember you. Well, you think? and then you can also look at Kevin Brown, his expertise. Hero. The he See, See, I remember that. Okay. <laughs> and, and he wrote the book, The Hero Effect. Now, he came from pro service, service pro, 
30, and he worked with them for 30 years and took the mom and pop to an extraordinary multi-million dollar company. His expertise, his brand, really is his name and the hero, because that's what he's known for. Um, since the show is called Speaker Sponsor, yes, um, and, and the reason I came up with this, by the way, is in the very, very beginning, well, about half of all the speaking jobs out there are free ones, and I don't like to work for free. <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> no. I have to pay bills. So I came from a TV background and I said to the meeting planner, look, why don't I get my own sponsor? That way the sponsor pays me, you don't have to. Uh, the audience gives great information. They are happy, you're happy, I'm happy, everybody is happy. And that's why I came up with the idea, the concept for it, is to fill all of those jobs that are free ones. But as a speaker bureau, that doesn't mean money in your pocket, or does it? Oh, I don't know. Is there a way that you can make money off a speaker's sponsorship? Why not? I think that's a brilliant idea. In fact, uh, if athletes can have sponsors, why can't speakers? They can. And no, they yeah. can. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, I would go to the speaker and say, if you get a sponsor, I would need my commission or whatever because I'm the one who actually booked you for this event. And so whoever pays you, the bureau needs to get a percentage of it. And in our typical commission is 25%. And so I think there is a way that it can be a win-win for everybody, whether you have a sponsor or not. But I think having sponsors these days are brilliant. However, I would caution, don't go out and get just any sponsor, especially for your corporate arena. Right. I would make sure that your core values or equal to your, your sponsor's core values. Well, also it has to be approved by the meeting planner. Absolutely. So you're not gonna go in for a health conference and get a cigarette sponsor, you know. Right, you're gonna right. get a sponsor that relates to the health Correct. industry. Correct, nor would you wanna do anything with pornography. But, I mean, you would have to have a reliable integrity company that, you're, that is a sponsor for you. And that is approved by the media Absolutely, planner. absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's a I think a win-win. Oh, it's a brilliant idea. For and why speakers haven't thought of this beforehand? I don't understand why it hasn't been done more so. Now, the biggest, greatest example that I know who does this is Nellie Galan, who wrote the book Self Made. And Coca-Cola sponsored her all over the world because she was targeting the Latino and multicultural groups for empowerment and inspiration. And so it ran along, it paralleled with Coca-Cola's DEI. And so they were happy to sponsor her. And she went all over the world and, and Coca-Cola sponsored her. So that shows you it can be done, and it can be done on a big scale. Oh yeah, that's a great example. 
um, one of the most interesting and unique sponsorships I've ever seen was at the MPI International Conference. It was a few years ago. Okay. So I was one of the keynotes, but the main keynote was uh, she was on a circular stage. Everyone was seated all around her, so there was no room for a PowerPoint or to, to put a banner. Right. She put her sponsors on her butt. So she had one on one cheek and one on the other. It was, I, and I still remember <laughs> the sponsors. Right. That's a good branding sponsorship. So every time she walked around, every time she moved, you, you, you can't help but look at her butt. She's got these two. <laughs> That's what you call creative. That was very creative. Yeah. She, I said, how in the world did you think of that? She said, well, where is I going to put it? <laughs> well, if we're going to brand cattle, might as well brand, brand your butt. butt. <laughs> <laughs> I went, man, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> um, let's talk about some horror stories. Maybe just one. <laughs> horror stories in that things that speakers should not do. And, you know, we don't know everything. We don't know what we don't know. And we're going to do stupid stuff. How? Give a couple examples of stupid things we shouldn't do. <laughs> I had a speaker who decided that he was not going to stay at the hotel with the host hotel. And without telling anybody, he decided to check into this little boutique in New Orleans. And so at midnight, Betty gets a call from the meeting planner saying, where is my speaker? And I said, he should be there. No, he's not. I said, give me a few minutes. So I called his wife, woke her up at one o'clock in the morning and said, where is your husband? Well, he's there in, in New Orleans. And I said, where in New Orleans? Is it Bourbon Street or what? Anyway, she said, I will have him call you. And I said, you have him call me immediately because he's going to move and go over to the hotel where he's supposed to be. Wow. So don't ever, ever go to any other hotel. It's in the contract where you're supposed to stay. And unless there is a reason for you not to stay there, you better let it be known because you have a contract that you're going to stay at XYZ Hotel. You don't have the right to make your own decision as to where you're going to stay. So that's one of the horror stories. And then... I've had another story where some of the speaker decided he could beat the system with airline schedules. So rather than go in the night before, and I encourage and I insist as a bureau, you better go in the night before. Or you At don't least get hired. the night before. You don't get hired by me or my bureau when I had it. So, I would say two nights before. Well, I'll give you some <laughs> slack. I want you there the night before so that you can go and be with the res at the reception and mingle and get to know the people on site before you speak to them the next morning. Anyway, the speaker was in Seattle and had to get to San Antonio, and he thought he could beat the system. Weather set in, and... <clears throat> We, he, could, he was supposed to be the opening keynote speaker. 
Oh, no. However, <laughs> he happened, he ended up being the closing. Now, I had to call the <clears throat> client and say, we have airline schedule issues, and is there any way your agenda can be switched so that he can be the closing <laughs> keynote? And they said, absolutely. They understood. But don't do that to me ever, ever again. Therefore, everybody's going to come in at least the night before, or, you'd, or I'll go to another speaker. Sorry. And you'll beat their ass. That's right. <laughs> and you don't want that. Um, and this is a small world. It, it is. It I is. mean, I don't care how many thousand may be out there <laughs> and how many events we do a year. It's a small world, and word gets out. Well, let's <clears throat> talk about, because um, I, I know I've mentioned this to you, and you know, I, I've been in the speaking business myself for about 15 years. And just in that 15 years, I've seen it change a lot, a lot. And it wasn't just COVID. I mean, COVID obviously threw us Started off for it. a loop. But the past year, you know, we're back. We're back. Everybody is meeting and conferences are, are packed. But something is strange about the speaking world. And so you sent me this very valuable list of trends. And I started reading through it and I went, this is starting to make sense, and we'll go over some of these. So the first one is audience are more demanding. They want custom content that is related to them. That's, that's one thing. No more canned speeches. Nope, no more canned speeches. Um, decisions taking longer. So committees, inflation, and I'm, I'm finding that's true. I was up for a big corporate job. It was down to two people. And I thought, oh, for sure they went with one other person. Because it was two weeks before. Hmm. Two we this was a big <laughs> keynote, big money, two weeks before the event. And I'm thinking, are they going to make a decision? Do they make one? I, I mean, this is going to be a really expensive plane ticket, <laughs> you know, at the very least. First of all, they went with a free speaker. Big corporate event. They went with a free speaker two weeks before. So does this surprise you? <laughs> no, Julie. It's <laughs> called politics. And I hate, with a passion, God love them, dealing with committees. Because it only takes one person to say something derogatory, negative, or whatever. Yep. And it throws a wrench into the whole decision making. So... Committees are taking longer to make a decision. I suggest always to the meeting planner to have you on the phone call when the board meets or when the committee meets so that you can answer any of their questions, either via Zoom or telephone call, whatever the case it may be. But I would want you to be on the call if, if you can, if you're well, scheduled. Well, that's the thing. A lot of times they won't let you. I know, yeah. but... If you but can, if you can. The best thing to do is plant the seed and say, let's get them on the phone. It's not going to be a high-pitched sale. It's to answer the questions and to make the committee feel safe that they're making the right decision. Right. And, of course, with inflation the way it is, the planners have so much now on their plate 
that they cannot literally do what their job is supposed to do because they have to worry about attrition and hotel contracts have gone out of sight. My contract used to be two pages and it went to six pages, wow. if that tells you anything. And it's just so much going on on the meeting planner side that it's hard for her to get her or his arms around everything and have the decision made at, at a great time. It's just difficult. There's just so many things going on. And the on. speaker is just one little that's right. You're it. one piece of the pie. Right. You're not the only thing that's going on. Now, this one is, I think this is one of the things that is making the speaking world weird, if I can say that. Uh, more competition. 57,000 professional, I don't know, we we'll, might use that word loosely, <laughs> professional speakers. Please do. Um, and everybody wants to be a speaker. Absolutely. Y'all make it so easy. I know. I'm sorry. It's our fault. I know it. It's your fault. <laughs> but now there is an added level of competition, whether you call them professional or not. I doubt that they are. What do I know? I don't know all 57,000, but I would dare to say that probably a third or probably maybe professional speakers who do it for a living. And so competition is stiffer. Social media is another detriment to you because there is so much competition on social media. We didn't have social media when I started. Mm. So it was more word of mouth. They trusted you, you. The Bureau is the one that built the trust, who built the relationship. And so we had an added layer of trust with our clients. Not that they don't trust us still, they do, but there's just so many outside things that are gnawing at that decision maker that we don't have control over. Well, um, that brings me to another thing is referrals are increasing. Yes, I, so, if, I believe referrals by speaker flow they quoted 52% to 65% are now referrals, which means planners are referring other speakers as well as speakers are referring other speakers if they can't fill that slot. Another reason to befriend other speakers and not be afraid of competition. I work with my direct competition. Sometimes um, they're looking for a female Sometimes you're looking for a male. Sometimes that person's booked. So it's a good thing to, to do. And um, as a good bureau, if I lost it because of my competition, I would call the planner and find out who they went with, who they chose. Because then if I lost you to competition and I don't have you listed with my bureau, I will ask you to come over to my bureau as well. And I say be listed with a lot of integrity-driven bureaus. Don't just limit yourself to one. Right. Spread the wealth. <laughs> um, then you said must diversify. So have products, training, coaching, sponsorship. Consulting. Consulting. Y'all cannot. With, with, look at the airlines these days. You cannot 
in, in any kind of s sensibility, do more than a hundred or less events a year. If you go over that, you're killing yourself and you're not doing your client any justice because by the time you get to where you're supposed to be, you're so tired, you don't know where you are, what hotel you are, and that is a detriment to your client because you've signed a contract that, pro that promised the client that you are going to be there because you signed that contract and you promised me you're going to be no there. No matter what. That's right. Well, I got some bad news for you. What? I saw this on uh, LinkedIn this morning. Mm -hmm. We now have speaker, I'm not making this up either. We now have SpeakerBot 2000, which is an AI robot keynote speaker. As if we don't have enough competition. Now we got ro robots, and you know what his fee is? Zero. <laughs> Julie. You don't look worried. <laughs> do you think that you can hold, do you think that robot can hold a candle to what you do or any other I speaker on, spe on, the, on the stage? No. <laughs> Well, they're getting better and better, but... I don't care know. how better they get. <laughs> they're not... I, I am an avid... It ain't going to happen, you're saying. I'm saying face-to-face -face <laughs> meetings are not going to go away. Yep. I don't care what you've heard. And robots are not going to take the place <laughs> of a live presentation. I'm sorry. Everybody <laughs> thought virtual was here to stay. Everybody thought hybrid meetings were here. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you, face-to-face -face meetings will never go away. They may get smaller. You may get regional meetings instead of the one large one. But I'm telling you, face-to-face -face meetings, because you learn so much on a one-to-one -one yep. conversation that you cannot learn sitting at home on a Zoom call. Well, um, I could talk to you all day, <laughs> but I just want to thank you for being here so much. And if you want coaching, this is your coach. Well, you can call, call me, call me Betty Garrett, or you can, my, my telephone number is 972-513-0054, or my email is Betty. B-E-T-T-Y at Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T speakers.com. And I would love to, to have the honor and the privilege to work with you. Thank you.